<laughs> hey, two quick things. We're going to jump right in here. Thanks for praying for us on the retreat. Saw the Lord moving away. Said he hasn't moved before. Look kind of like worship just now. So thank you for your faithfulness there. Also, close your eyes with me real quick. I, when, 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 when Justin was playing the drums, I'm open to missing this word, but I don't think I am. When Justin was playing the drums, there was a, a spirit of self-hatred that may be to the point of, of, of suicidal thoughts that was being driven out of the room and, and out of whoever's there and struggling with that. I just want to, to, to speak that work and word over you that that spirit was broken in the playing of the drums. And so you're, you're no longer bound there and you can start letting God teach you to love yourself and, and walking free. So Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for that. Pray for wisdom and revelation there. Thank you for freedom. Amen. Amen. You ready? All right, here we go. How many people pray on a somewhat consistent basis for God to pour out his spirit? Show me your hands. Show me your hands like you mean it. I don't want any of these halfway hand raises, bunch of chickens. All right, there we go. 30-ish. How many people in the room pray just as consistently for God to pour out his fire? We've gone from 30 to 5. Six, right in there. I want to talk to you today about the fire of God. And, and one of the reasons I think we see that lack of engagement with the fire of God is we don't understand it. And because we don't understand it, we don't engage. We're afraid. Or that's weird. Or, <laughs> and if you're like me, people that you would easily call out there a little bit have been some of the only people that have spoken to you about the fire of God. And so you can, you can start to build a little bit of a stigma around something. But at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is what the word says, right? So we're going to look at what the word says about the fire of God, which I think we just experienced in, to some degree in our worship. So thank you, Lord, for that. Turn to Matthew 3.11. <clears throat> Matthew 3.11 is John the Baptist. Bless you. Matthew 3.11 is, is, is John the Baptist, and everybody was coming out to him to be baptized, and, and some people that didn't have a heart for repentance were. And, but there's this buzz of conversation that starts where they're asking the question, is John the Christ, right? Is he the Messiah to come? And so he, either hearing that or just knowing that by the Spirit, begins to address that question, <clears throat> if we're going to have it up on the screen. And he says, kind of in response to that buzz, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I. Talking about Jesus, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And so you have this, whether it's, whether it's one baptism or two, I don't really care. 
You know, I'm not gonna split hairs there. All of the baptisms of repentance, of the Spirit of God, and of fire are all continuous, right? And that's what we see when we look at the Word of God is these aren't so much one-and-done experiences, although there is something very unique about that first experience. These are continuous experiences. And so one of the biggest things I think the Lord wants to do this morning is bring a sense of equality to being baptized with the Spirit of God and being baptized with fire. Because he put it there, and he put it there intentionally. This isn't a a typo. And so it deserves our attention, our engagement, our study, our prayer, our outcry, and our experience. Okay? You guys agree? (laughs) All right. We'll move it forward, I promise. First, a word on repentance. Jesus said of John the Baptist, there's never been anyone greater born of woman than John the Baptist. And what, what we see in the life of John the Baptist is repentance is what makes room for the coming of Jesus Christ. Corporately, in the world, and individually. He doesn't come apart from repentance. That's why John had to come. That's why the calling and the anointing and the separation on John. Because repentance is, is vital to Jesus moving in. Right? And so, so that is, we've, we've got to move to a place where we, where we stop resisting this idea of a lifestyle of repentance. And thinking that it's a bad thing. Or thinking that it's negative. Because it's, it's life-giving and it ushers in the presence of the God we serve. Right? And so, and so it's, it's, it's foundational. It's elementary. Let me read Hebrews 6.1 to you real quick. Paul says, therefore, leaving, the writer of Hebrews says, therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God. The writer of Hebrews calls repentance elementary and a foundation. We don't need to be there still trying to get a hold of the idea that repentance is a good thing years and years into our walk with God. Right? So, so let's start off this year where the Lord wants to take us into so much by agreeing with God and going, nah, I love repentance. I love repentance. I love turning. I love being called out. I love seeing what's dysfunctional in me so, so I can move in a different direction so Jesus can come. Right? It hasn't changed. The cross hasn't changed that. The cross has just empowered our ability to repent and turn, which ushers in his presence. So, repentance brings Jesus. Jesus brings the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and fire. Without repentance, we get none of it. No Jesus, no spirit, no fire. you can feel that in the room can't you I think I'm gonna read it again repentance brings Jesus Jesus brings the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and fire without repentance we get none of it no Jesus no spirit no fire one of the things that's important for us to understand about baptism is right 
Baptism with fire is what we're talking about today. Is, is when it comes to a water baptism, John was the baptizer. Water was the agent of baptism. And repentance was the reason. Right? So you have a baptizer, you have an agent, and you have a purpose or reason. Those dynamics don't change when it comes to a baptism with the Spirit of God or in the Spirit of God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call out something that, that you might think is semantics, but it's actually important. A lot of times we call it the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's not. It's the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Because of suggests like this sense of ownership or whatever that's just, it's broken. Jesus is the baptizer. The Spirit of God is the agent that we're immersed in and consumed with inside and out and covered and surrounded by and overwhelmed by. And the purpose is power. Right? John, water, repentance. Jesus, spirit, power. Jesus, fire. Keep listening. You guys know me. I always start with the definition. Before we can really start to move into saying yes to the fire of God, we have to know what it is. As long as it's abstract to us, we won't go there, right? We're too insecure. We're too scared. So instead of going to Webster, I just went to Hebrews on this one. And Hebrews 12.29 says, our God, he's a consuming fire. Good enough for you? So what is the fire of God? God. It's who he is. It's his person. You know, something that Pastor Alec teaches us a lot. He can't not, not be fire. He is fire. He always has been. He always will be. And so it's interesting because this baptism with the Spirit, when you think about the role of the Holy Spirit being empowerment, right, being boldness, being prayer, being the gifts, being moving us in things that are so far outside of ourselves that require surrender, the teacher, the guide, the comforter, the helper, then we have to go, all right, God, that is, that is you, Holy Spirit. So what are you as fire? What are those roles? What does that accomplish? Right? I know I'm teaching you guys, but this is important. It's important to lay a foundation. And so this, this baptism of fire is also a baptism in God himself because he is fire. But fire is also a unique expression of who he is. He doesn't always come as fire. Do you guys, does that bear witness with you guys? You guys here? Do I need to walk down that road a little bit? <laughs> Sometimes he comes as wisdom, right? Sometimes he comes as teacher. Sometimes he comes as healer, comforter, victory, boldness, compassion. So they're all aspects of who he is, but, but in his sovereignty, how he comes and expresses himself fits the situation and the need and what he wants to accomplish. 
right? Sometimes that's fire. So the, the best way I, I, I'm understanding this, because it's, it's, it's very new and so I'm still processing, the best way I'm understanding this is, is at different times, Brandon looks very different to his children, right? When they're acting a fool, I look very authoritative, right? <laughs> Not that nice sometimes, because nice isn't what they need. Right? They don't need a buddy in that moment. They need a father. Other times, I'm teacher. Other times, I'm friend. We're playing video games together. Right? We're, we're throwing the football. We're shooting the BB gun. But, and so I am all of those things. Father, teacher, friend, comforter, correction. But when I'm operating in any one of those expressions of who I am, it doesn't compromise another expression. All right? Let me, let me explain. <clears throat> when Jesus came as lamb, he was no less lion. Does that settle, settle with you guys? When Jesus returns as lion, he will be no less lamb. And so it's imperative, if we're going to understand this conversation about the fire of God, that it's what he is, and it's also an avenue by which he expresses himself. Nod your head if you're with me. All right. Good. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> so, the, this, so, so think, let's think expression for a moment, because it's, it's kind of complex. And as I was going through this, what I saw was, was when you... When you manifest yourself in fire, Father, it's for very different purposes. And so you have this unique expression of fire, and within that one expression, you have, you have sub-expressions, is the best way I know to put it, which sounds ridiculous. But you have, you have uniqueness even within the fire. Okay? Let me get an example. There's three that we're going to go through. The first one is... The fire of his wrath. Let me say this before I, before I jump in right there. Let me say this. To understand the nature of fire in the spirit, we have to understand the nature of fire in the natural. And so it's wide. It's broad. It's not narrow. Like the, the fires that, that just happened out in Cal incredible devastation, incredible destruction, right? You take fire and water, and you have about the most destructive forces on the planet. Their ability to destroy life is huge. We also wouldn't be here without the sun, which is a ball of fire. Fire brings light. Fire brings warmth. Fire gives us the ability to boil water and live life. And so as far as east is from the west, the nature and expression of fire in the natural can give us the ability to stay in life and can snuff it out. Right? Same way with the Father. You have, you have that much of, of polar opposites within the fire of God. And so the first place I want to start is the wrath of God. And we're not going to stay there long because I don't think I'm looking at a bunch of enemies of God. <laughs> Happy New Year. It's good news. The... Psalm 97.3 says, 
a fire goes before him and burns up his enemies round about. If you're his friend, it's good news. You gotta evaluate the criteria, criteria that Jesus calls his friends. You love me if you obey me, right? I've called you friends and not servants because I've shared with you. I've told you everything the Father's doing. The fellowship, the obedience, that's what makes us friends. So if you're friends, that's good news because, because God's consuming his enemies, which because you're aligned with him, he's consuming your enemies, right? Thank you, Lord. <laughs> if you're his enemy, not good news. And friendship with the world is enmity with God. Desiring what this world has and staying in that place positions you as an enemy of God and me, right? And so we have to have sober judgment on that front. So expression, <laughs> number one, fire of wrath. Purpose, destroy. You guys good? Second, the fire of his purification. Turn over to Leviticus chapter 9. We'll look at a couple of verses. Fire of his wrath comes to wipe his enemies off the map. Fire of his purification. So much of what's, what's, what the Lord's doing. We going to have that up? Thank you. This is the establishment of the Levitical priesthood in, in chapter 9 here. And the Lord's given commandment to Moses. Moses is given commandment to Aaron and his sons. And, and what the Lord said is, I'm coming to visit you. Get ready. And so there's, there's sin offerings and there's burn offerings and there's grain offerings. There's a lot going on here. But 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 switch to the gear of a fire that is not meant to destroy, a fire that's meant to purify. And, and what you have here is, is the high priest and his sons, right? Who are the priests of the new covenant? Say it like you mean it. So we have the priest, which is now us, preparing a sacrifice for the Lord, and this is a part of it. But the fat, the kidneys, and the fatty lobe, it's fun to talk about, from the liver of the sin offering, he burned on the altar as the Lord had commanded Moses. Keep going. Thank you. The flesh and the hide, he burned with fire outside the camp. Are you seeing it? We're talking about fire. What does fire do? Burns, right? So two burns already. And he killed the burnt offering, and Aaron's sons presented to him the blood, which he sprinkled all around the altar. Then they presented the burnt offering to him, which with its pieces and head, and he burned them on the altar. And he washed the entrails and the legs and burned them with the burnt offering on the altar. So in, why, do I, why am I going here? Because it's a critical piece of understanding God's heart and pouring out his fire. And we have a picture in the natural and how God carried out the, the details of the Levitical priesthood to show us what God calls us to in the spirit. And we are both priest 
and sacrifice in the new covenant. And if you don't get that, you'll miss the whole conversation. We are priests administering the sacrifice, which we are, to the Lord, right? And so all this cutting and all this burning, guess who gets to do that? And guess what sacrifice we could do that for? Us. Did you guys see it? But it wasn't just cutting. It was cutting and burning. It was a, it was a separation and then a, a complete consummation of things about the sacrifice that God didn't want. Right? The father said, I want the sacrifice, but I don't want that, 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 and that. And so, so get rid of that. Cut it and burn it in the preparation of the sacrifice. He hasn't changed. He hasn't changed. So we're talking about what is the fire of God? Why does the fire of God come? And then what is our new covenant reality? Romans 12, 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So can we present ourselves as an acceptable offering, being completely ignorant of the work of the fire of God in our lives? You and me both. So thank you, Lord, for this word, right? It's good. So we need the fire of God. It's a part of preparing the sacrifice. The next question I want to answer is, what does it look, what does it look like? Right? Because otherwise, we're, just, we're still playing hokey-pokey games, and it's going to be abstract. We have to land this thing and say, what does it look like in our lives so we can say yes to it so God can do what he wants to do. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7 Talks about trials. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Look at me. Anybody in the room going through anything hard? Go ahead. It'll do us good. Anybody going through anything hard? That the genuineness of your faith, this is, this is what I said in first service, and I think I need to say it again, Lord, help me. We've got to move to a place where we do more with adversity than say, this sucks. I do too. I think so. We'll see if I can move there myself. That'll be the evidence of whether or not I really like it. The... As long as that's our posture towards adversity, as long as we don't move beyond there, Ken, we're in prison. Right? We have to find purpose in pain and adversity and trial and the hard things because the adversity is the fire of God. Right? Now, we can get into a, an intellectual and a theological argument there, and I'm just not going to do it. I'm just going to read scripture and let it say what it says. In this you greatly rejoice. 
though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved with various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. What's tested by fire? Your faith. What's the fire? Trials. Though it is tested by fire, your faith may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What happens if you remove the trials? No testing. What happens if you remove the testing? No praise, no honor, no glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what we have to see. Is we, there's no shortcut. There's no other way to get there. There's, there's no other way than this supernatural expression of what God wants to do in our faith in this purifying process than fire, which is trials, which is hard, which is painful. <laughs> I don't like the word any more than you all do, <laughs> just for the record. Isaiah 48.10 says this, Behold, I've refined you, but not as silver. I've tested you in the furnace of affliction. Do you guys see it? Furnace of what? Affliction. We have to learn to value it. We have to learn to, to find God's purpose in pain. Ken, I love what you shared, and this is what I was thinking when you were sharing it, you know, but I, I also think it's a word for, you know, others in the room. Isaiah 43, 2 says this, talking to all you who raised your hands, you're going through it. When you pass through the waters, through the waters, <laughs> I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. So I just want to speak encouragement and life and hope to, I believe, multiple people in the room. So scripture is very clear. A part of this expression of the Father that we call the fire of God is, is, is adversity. And the purification process doesn't happen apart from it. I believe the other, and it's not to say that there's more than two, but these are the two that, that were the loudest to me as I searched through the word of God. The other, I'm answering the question, what does the purifying fire of God look like? And the second is the corrective word of God. Adversity and God's word. Jeremiah says this in, in chapter 20. <laughs> he said, he was discouraged. He was going through it. He was having a pity party. Different things were happening. And he said, I'll not make mention of him, talking about God, nor speak any more in his name. But his word in my heart is like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back. I couldn't. <laughs> I love that. And in chapter 5, He echoes that. And it says, 
Chapter five, verse 14. Thus says the Lord God of hosts, because you speak this word, behold, I will make my words in your mouth fire, and this people would, and it shall devour them. Two more things I want to point out here to really establish that. This, this word of God, particularly this corrective word of God, is, is a part of the outpouring of the fire of God that, that purifies is the whole chapter of Hebrews 12. We need to spend time there. And, and basically it's God saying, my correction is proof of your sonship. Without my correction, you're illegitimate, right? And, and, and so we, we come all the way through that and we get to the end of that verse and that's where we find our God is a consuming fire. It's at the end of a chapter of scripture that's all about correction. And so, <laughs> so I, I wanna read this, say one more thing and then we're gonna, we're gonna move toward the close here. In Hebrews 12, nine through 11, it says, furthermore, We've had human fathers. The Lord's trying to buy us into to correction. We've had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us, as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Is there any other way to get there than correction? Nah. Do we want there to be? Sure. She's got she's to put that piece of us to death, don't we? It is what it is. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Everybody in the room say painful. <laughs> Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And so there's this thing called chastening which is actually a stronger word than correction. I'm actually watering it down a little bit. There's this thing called chastening that the Father God says it's painful. You're not going to enjoy this. It's not going to be fun. But it's necessary. In fact, it's so necessary, even though it's painful, it's going to be, if you'll say yes to me, it's going to be so constant and continual in your life that the way I'm going to talk about it is you've got to be trained by this. It yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. It's not one and done. It's not let's keep it under five. This is the lifestyle. This is the fire of God, his correction, his word, the thing that lays us open, the thing that Jesus says, this is the word, it's sharper than a double-edged sword. We're, 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 we're naked and open with whom we have to do, and he lays open the thoughts and the intents of our heart, and he exposes. It's the nature of fire. Wherever it goes, it burns, and, and, and it disintegrates completely, or whatever's left is completely exposed. This, this is the nature of the word of God. Let me drive it completely home by saying <clears throat> the fire of God is his person. Yes? We've already established that. Jesus is God. Yes? 
Jesus is the word become flesh. Yes? So settle it. Take it to the bank. The reason I'm spending time there, y'all, is because I had to dig. Because I wasn't going to get up here and give you something that I wasn't completely sold on as being scripturally solid and founded. So, so know this. Bless you. When we pray, God, pour out your fire in my life. We are asking God, saying, I'm wide open to any adversity that I need to bring purification. I'm desiring of your word that cuts and burns to correct me and chasten me wherever you see fit. That's the prayer for the fire of God. Because we're not his enemies. He's not out to get us. He's out to purify us, right? Probably the, the best expression in scripture, not the best, that's the wrong way to say it. I don't know, one that I like, is Malachi 3, which is where we get the refiner's fire from. Malachi 3.3, 3, talking about Jesus, says, he will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. Right? Jesus, he's the baptizer. He's the refiner. He likens it to the process of silver and gold being refined. And then he discovers where we started in saying, this is the purpose. An offering in righteousness is the purpose of refining. That the priest would be pure, you and me, and what we bring to the Father would be pure. You guys see it? You with me? Go home and watch a YouTube video on purifying silver. It'll bless you. Here's what you're, here's what you're gonna see. You're gonna see a, you're gonna see a, a process of, of melting down silver that's either gonna look like someone taking a blowtorch, you know, putting it in a, um, what do you call it? Kind of like a, a crucible, but a small, you know, smaller cup, depending on how much. And you're gonna see a blowtorch that's operating somewhere in excess of 1,700 degrees Fahrenheit, and and you're and you're looking at blowing fire on silver. There's actually, if I were to back it up the way it used to be in older days, is the ore had to be busted up and broken first. That sounds fun, doesn't it? So Lord, first bust us up and break us into pieces and then put us into this crucible and then expose us to extreme heat by adversity in your word and melt us down so that any identity of the past that we had or anything that we're comfortable in, in the current of how we see ourselves gets melted down and isn't even recognizable from what it used to be. And then as you do that, by that extreme heat of adversity in your word, cause those impurities, those things on the inside that you don't want to rise to the top called dross. And then that refiner scrapes it off the top. Sometimes they would have to do that process up to seven times before it was pure. This is what the fire of God is 
is all about. I want to read something to you, and it's going to bless you, so you can thank me in advance. <laughs> you might have heard the story before about the woman who goes to a silversmith to watch the process of refining silver. As she watched the silversmith, he held a piece of silver over the fire and let it heat up. He explained that in refining silver, one needed to hold the silver in the middle of the fire where the flames were hottest as to burn away all the impurities. The woman thought about God holding us in such a hot spot. And then she taught again about the verse that says, he sits in a refiner. He sits as a refiner and purifier of silver. She asked the silversmith if it was true that he had to sit there in front of the fire the whole time the silver was being refined. The man answered, yes. He not only had to sit there holding the silver, but he had to keep his eye on the silver the entire time it was in the fire. If the silver was left a moment too long in the flames, it would be destroyed. The woman was silent for a moment, and then she asked the silversmith, how do you know when the silver is fully refined? He smiled at her and answered and said, oh, that's easy, when I see my image in it. Man, thank you, Father. It is good. It is good. First, he comes as a refining fire. First, he's cutting away. He's burning places. He's refining. He's using adversity. He's using his word to draw out impurities. And he's going through this whole process of refining. But he's doing it to an end. He's doing it with a purpose in mind. And that purpose is this. At the end of Leviticus chapter 9, after the sacrifice was fully prepared, seasoned with fire, and everything had been burned away, and all that God desired was all that was left. Then Aaron lifted his hand toward the people, blessed them, came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings, and Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting and came out and blessed the people. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people, and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Your number three is the fire of his pleasure. Fire of his wrath, fire of his purification, fire of his pleasure. Because there comes a point in everything that he's trying to purify in us, it's going to come to this place where everything that's, that's needed to be cut off and burned has been cut off and burned. It's going to come to this place in the refining of us as silver where he takes, takes a layer off, takes a layer off, and then he sees his image and when that happens, he comes in fire again. 
for, to consume, to enjoy, to admire, to adore what he's done. You know, an incredible place that I saw this is in the story of creation. The day that God made holy wasn't any of the creating days. It wasn't any of the working days. It wasn't when he created light. It wasn't when he made the skies or the sun or the moon or the stars or the water or when he, the creepy crawly things. It wasn't when he created man. The day that he called holy was when those things came to completion. And he could sit back and admire and enjoy. That's the holiest day. And I believe with all my heart, church, that if we'll submit ourselves to this process of purification, we'll experience the fire of the glory of the Lord coming in his pleasure. And that's where the greatest manifestations will happen. That's when the greatest miracles will happen. That's when we'll see the greatest outpouring. You encouraged? Me too. You guys can stand with me. Thank you, Father, for teaching us, God. Thank you for taking something <laughs> confusing and abstract and strange and bringing some clarity to it, God. We acknowledge that you are fire. Father, we acknowledge that you desire to baptize us in the fire that you are. Again and again and again. And Father, we understand that that's not something that gives us goosebumps or just makes us feel a certain way. It's adversity. Pain, it's hardship, it's chastening, it's correction, it's a lifestyle of repentance and purification. And so, Father, knowing all that, God, we say, pour out your fire on us. Pour out your fire on us, God. Because you want to come in the fire of your pleasure. You want to come in that moment of maturity and completion, and you want to look at us and you want to say, that is very good. Father, I pray this would be a group of people that would submit to your process so you can see your image in us and you can pour out your glory here. I thank you for sober judgment this morning. I pray for hearts willing to make the sacrifice to go where you want to take us. You know best, God. We bless you. We honor you. We exalt you. 
Father, as we go, continue to speak to us. Your word's alive. Expand the revelation, and I pray that we would be found faithful with it. In the name of Jesus, which is above every other, amen.